0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, please be seated. Today's Gospel contains a a famous story, uh, the story of the Good Samaritan known by so many people in our culture, uh, whether they come to church or not. Um, It's a famous story with a familiar outline. A person is left by the side of the road for dead. And of all the people who pass by, it's a foreigner. A foreigner, the one about whom there were all sorts of cultural assumptions and stereotypes and prejudices. But it's that foreigner who offers help. Of course, the story offers us all a, a nice moral and serves as a gentle reminder for us to be helpful, to live on the lookout for those in need, and for us to practice charity. But the story goes deeper if we look at its context. The story that Jesus tells of the Good Samaritan comes out of a larger conversation with a young lawyer And we don't know if the lawyer is being completely serious at the beginning or not when he asks Jesus about eternal life. Um, It could be the lawyer is like that sort of straight-A person in a classroom who, who just wants to hear themselves ask a question they already know the answer to and kind of set themselves up to look smart with others. And maybe the lawyer is showing off in that way. But who knows? He asks about eternal life. Then Jesus responds with another question, you know, what does the law, meaning what does the whole history, the inherited teaching of Moses and Elijah and all the prophets, what does the law say? How do you read it? Well, the lawyer piously quotes back to Jesus all that he's been taught about the faith, using the words of the famous Shema, uh, one of the the things that uh, a Jewish kid would have learned first and foremost. Shema Yisrael Adonai. um, The Lord your God is one God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your life. At this point, I imagine Jesus is ready to move on. There are people to heal and hearts to reach. But the lawyer seems to want something else. He wants some kind of recognition from Jesus. He he wants something else. And as the gospel puts it, he wants to justify himself. And so he asks Jesus this additional question, and who is my neighbor? I love that phrase in, in the New Revised Standard Version. Uh, the lawyer, wanting to justify himself, asks this question. The translation by Eugene Peterson called The Message it makes the lawyer's intention a little clearer. And the Peterson's version says, But looking for a loophole, <laughs> the lawyer asks, But just how would you define neighbor? <laughs> I love the Peterson translation. That's something I relate to. Looking for a loophole. Asking Jesus, well, yes, but then how do you define neighbor? Seeking to justify himself, to make himself look good, to make sure he's doing what he needs to do, somehow to please God or somehow to please Jesus, somehow to make sure he knows God's love for himself. I stumble on that phrase of the lawyer, that lawyer looking for a loophole, because that's exactly the sort of thing I might ask Jesus. It's the sort of thing I do ask Jesus. Uh, Who counts as my neighbor? The guy who is at the 86th Street uh, Number 6 subway platform every day and probably has take-home pay twice what I do? (laughs) Is he my neighbor? What about the person who I know good and well is going to take the dollar I give them and go straight to the liquor store? Is that my neighbor? What about the folks who end up in our midst and maybe have broken laws to be in our neighborhood? Are they our neighbors? Are we responsible with them? Should we help those who don't have things in common with us or are not our tribe or not our religion? I can create a whole lot of loopholes in my mind that work as a distancing factor to make someone not so much my neighbor, maybe somebody else's neighbor, but not mine. And so it's in this conversation that Jesus then tells this familiar story of the Good Samaritan. With every word, with every look, with every move, Jesus communicates that God is love. And God, in Christ brings love to all people there 's nothing we can do to earn it there 's nothing we can do to argue for it or win it or buy it there 's no loophole to exploit there 's no just self justification that exists. And Jesus is telling the story of the Good Samaritan in an artful and compassionate way to the lawyer to say basically to him this isn 't about you." <laughs> It's not about you working your way to heaven and doing the right things and checking the right boxes. You want a mystical religion? You want to see God? You want a genuine spiritual experience? Then offer yourself to another in service, and strange things will happen. Serve another. And you'll find yourself to be a part of God's unfolding kingdom, unfolding, transforming, making a new heaven and earth right here, right now. The Good Samaritan story illustrates this, as this uh, poor man is going to Jerusalem, he's robbed and beaten, the priest is the first to walk by. I have compassion for the priest. If he had whatever is the equivalent of a, of a cell phone in his hand, he knew he was on the way somewhere. He had an appointment. Somebody was in the hospital, and then he had a lunch meeting, and then another meeting with the equivalent in his day of the diocese. On and on and on. I'm sure the priest was busy doing the work of God in his midst. And so he had things to do. He had other neighbors to serve, so he ignored that one. Let's cut the priest a break, all right? All right. And what about the Levite? The Levites had all kinds of responsibilities. They were, they were the caretakers and the administrators of the synagogue. They were busy people. They were important doing the work of God, keeping God's law in, in macro ways, in institutional ways, in communal ways. The, the Levites had good reasons for serving other neighbors, and we can cut them a break maybe. The Samaritan helps, cynically we might say because he had nothing else to do. But if we look at Jesus' telling of the story, Jesus specifically chooses a Samaritan. Samaritans in his culture were viewed as outsiders, as foreigners, as people who were dirty and not quite up to snuff. Um, They spoke another dialect, they worshipped another god, they they had strange customs at home, and there would have been all sorts of rumors about what they did at home and who they were and how they lived. It's specifically because of all of this cultural backdrop that Jesus tells this story where the Samaritan is the hero. Again, the Samaritan helps the person, not because it's going to help the Samaritan, not because it's going to get the Samaritan closer to heaven, but because it's the right thing to do. It's the merciful thing to do. It's the kind thing to do. It's the loving thing to do. It need not be more complicated. But it is the Christian thing to do. This good Samaritan in Scripture works as an example for us Sometimes I'm helped for examples in our own day. Um, You may have read or seen in the news um, a Catholic nun who works in Brownsville, Texas, Sister Norma Pimentel. Um, She's the executive director of Catholic Charities for the Rio Grande Valley, and she's a busy, busy lady. Um, She goes into the detention centers there at the border and elsewhere, and works with recent immigrants and their families. Um, She was one of the first people allowed to go into the detention centers and visit children. But guess what? That was some years ago, because Obama began those detention centers. We can get caught up in the rhetoric of the day and the personalities, but these problems around immigration and immigrants and how we deal with them are old and long-standing. Sister Norma knows that, and so she gets on with the business at hand. She serves those who are in her midst and helps others to do it. If you read her words or find an interview with her, I encourage you to look her up at Pimentel. You hear echoes of the Good Samaritan. You hear echoes of Jesus. She's not new to working among immigrants and their families. She's been doing it for over 30 years. But she keeps doing the work because she's motivated by the love of Christ deep, deep within her. It's bigger than her. It's bigger than her opinions. It's bigger than her current work. When the Brownsville or or another city uh, council meets to shut down a particular facility, she's sad about that. She prays for them, but she opens another facility. She just gets on with it. As she says in interviews, um, she works well with the Border Patrol, with the guards, with the police, with local politicians. She works with them because she knows she has to. She prays for them, she prays with them, but she continues to serve the poor in her midst. She helps those right in front of her, while at the same time working with and respecting and praying for all the others. She faces challenges and setbacks, but she does so with this power greater than herself. It's that power of Christ's love to to transform, to change, to convert, to renew, uh, to stay with us so that we can stay with Christ for the long haul. It's that power that motivates Sister Norma and so many. We just have to allow Christ's love to flow out of us To move us to touch and to heal and to protest and to write letters and to vote and to show up and to extend kindness and love and tangible acts of loving kindness. Who knows what it will take to move us out of ourselves. Sometimes it's an illness that uh, shows us what it is to be weak and needy. Sometimes uh, we we fail in something we thought we were really good at and we're brought to a new place of humility. Uh, sometimes God simply moves us out of ourselves with a mystery that we can't quite put into words. Whatever it is, may the Holy Spirit move us to follow Jesus to help and love and serve those in need. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.